Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Okay, podcast with me, Dan, the fitness man. Thanks for tuning in. You know, I always appreciate you guys uh, listening in on these adventures. We bring these awesome guests on and you busy and hopefully you get something out of this podcast, whether it be the elk hunting angle, the personal development angle, or just some entertainment, knowledge, whatever. I appreciate you. Thank you. So episode 72 with Joe Jacks of Tight Spot Quivers. No, we're not sitting here just talking about Tight Spot the whole time. Uh, I do work with Tight Spot, and I know the uh, president, Joe, here is a diehard bow hunter, and he's got a lot of years of elk hunting under his belt. So once you get into this episode, just know that I ask him some pretty tough questions about Montana specifically. So if Montana's on your radar, either you're just dreaming about coming out there or you're a regular repeat offender, I want you to listen to this podcast. I'm going to ask him some awesome questions that pertains to how to get it done in Montana. And Joe gives away some pretty good information, so hopefully you enjoy that. Check out Corey Jacobson's University of Elk Hunting. He is a sponsor of this podcast along with hard work, dedication, discipline, and being accountable to yourself. He's got a discount code, ElkShape, 20% off the online course. It's pretty thorough. It's been out for like three years. If you haven't done it, up your game, man, and get on there and check out Corey's modules. I don't know if there's a bigger nerd when it comes to elk hunting than Corey, so check that out. Shoutouts-wise, want to give a shout-out to a new partnership. I think you guys probably already know, but I signed with Matthews. I am stoked on that. That is something that's been in the works for a while, but just had to wait for the right timing. This is a great company. We align very well and not only our beliefs and core values, but I think they make a great bow. I think their innovation is top-notch, and I have never shot better than I have with a Vertex. Seriously, I have never shot better. That's why I finalized that decision and going public with it. So it's just going to work out better for elk shape, and hopefully uh, I'm just going to continue to shoot better and better. And I want to give a shout-out to Vortex Optics because they are coming to go bear hunting with me in a couple of weeks. And my buddy Mark, we hunted together last year, and we're going to redeem ourselves. If you watch the video from YouTube last year, uh, there's a deep, dark canyon with his name on it. We're going to go get a big bear out of there, and we're going to do a live insta story on their instagram feed of the hunt so tune in hopefully we get enough cell phone service up there in the mountains pretty excited about that you can follow along elkshape.com for free workouts and digital programming that's not free uh you can check out the store support the cast you can give us a five-star rating but more importantly you could just tell a buddy about this podcast say hey do you want to check out an elk hunting learning curve podcast with no fluff that's our brand And then we have our YouTube where we're pumping out some videos there weekly. And follow us on Instagram at Elkshape. And always feel free to reach out to me with any questions and we can bring it on there. Speaking of questions, I had one. Somebody wanted to know about my camera setup. So I'm going to do a quick 90 second recap. Here it is. I switched to Sony. I'm shooting basically in 4K with a really good clean camera that's mirrorless. And I really... 
I've been blown away at, uh, it's an Alpha 7 III, really good camera. I got a lens that's 24 to 105. I only have one lens, that's what I could afford. I supplement with the GoPro 7, I think it's the Hero Silver, and I shoot a lot of video on my iPhone. I have a contour camera that's an action camera that's collecting dust. Uh, that is my camera setup. I do a lot of my editing with Adobe Premiere and my still photos in Adobe uh, Lightroom. And that's just kind of what I shoot on. Uh, the Sony has two memory card slots, so it's uh, two 128 gig cards. And I mainly shoot at uh, 24 to 30 frames a second. I can go 1080 at 60, and that's what I got. So we're going to talk to Joe Jacks. We're going to talk about quivers. We're going to talk about Redding, but mainly we're going to talk about Montana elk. And I appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. Sorry for the long intro. Let's get into it and have the best week ever. Take care. Elk Shape Podcast, episode 7-2 with me, Dan, the fitness man. I'm talking with Joe from Montana. Joe Jacks, what's up, man? How are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks a bunch, Dan, for having me on. Yeah. Have you done podcasts before? You know, I've done a couple. Not uh, not very many, but just a couple. Yeah. I figured you kind of keep a low profile, um, but if you've been in the uh, hunting industry for a while, you know who Joe Jacks is, man. Currently, you're the president of Tight Spot Quivers. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Nice. That sounds like a lot of work, but I know you more as a diehard bow hunter. So give us a quick little introduction on as to what you're, what you got going on in your life and, uh, how you got started archery hunting. Oh man. Uh, I started archery hunting when I was, uh, like most people or like a lot of people, I guess, uh, when I was just a little kid, uh, my dad, uh, was a hunter. He wasn't as much into bow hunting, but my uncle was, um, and, uh, I'd go uh, bow hunting with my uncle and, um, my brother, my older brother, Jeff, he's uh, big into bow hunting as well. And, and growing up as teenagers, we were always asking my dad to, to take us out hunting. Um, I grew up in, uh, California, Northern California, um, hunting blacktail, um, and just, uh, really fell in love with, uh, hunting in general. And obviously having uh, an archery season would extend the season and, and just being out that time of year, uh, trying to get close to animals was just so much fun. Um, and, uh, the more I did it, the more I wanted to do it. So, um, and then when I turned 21, I moved to Montana and, and, uh, started hunting deer and elk here and, and, uh, have learned a lot and still have a lot to learn, uh, as well. But yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. What got you uh, to Montana, man? Um, <clears throat> I came to Montana, um, when I was uh, in high school, I uh, came out here with my dad on an elk hunt and just fell in love with it. Uh, I was going to a community college in California and transferred to Montana State and never looked back. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. Good choice. You're a very accomplished bow hunter. You have a lot of years under your belt. Um, I always give you a bad time. Like I'm like, man, where are you going elk hunting this year? And you're always like, uh, I'm going to Montana. Why would I leave Montana? <laughs> I can't leave elk to go find elk. But seriously, man, like how do you break up your archery season with Montana's generous lengths of season? I know you're a bow hunter. Uh, I don't know about exclusively, but solely. What's your season look like? How do you start it out? How do you finish you know, it? it? It's uh... – Taken when I first moved here, I really didn't do much uh, hunting other than uh, elk hunting. I just 
you know, if I passed deer and, and had an opportunity at it, I would, you know, I would try and make that happen. But elk hunting was really what I tried to focus on. And it took me quite a few years to try and, and actually get things figured out. Um, so my hunting seasons have kind of evolved. Uh, you know, the longer I lived here, then I started hunting antelope and then really focusing on deer as well as elk. Um, luckily here in Montana, we have a really long season. Um, so we've got lots of opportunities, um, and which is both good and bad. Like you just said, uh, you know, why leave uh, elk hunting to go somewhere else to do it? Um, with the long seasons that we have here, I'll start August 15th hunting antelope. Um, usually hunt a week, and if I'm fortunate enough to get antelope, an antelope down uh, that first week, uh, which the last several years I have been that fortunate, um, then I can uh, focus the month of September on elk. Um, and then October, you know, I might go, uh, you know, hunt some does or take the kids out hunting or, uh, you know, just kind of fill in that month with whatever other types of hunts I want to do. Um, and then in November, I'll usually chase mule deer. Uh, that's kind of how I have it broke down. And then, you know, here and there, I might uh, sneak in and out of state hunt for, for whatever I can come up with, you know, be it deer or whatever. Um, but generally, I, I have enough hunting here in Montana that I just kind of stay focused here, and it's, it's close to home, so it makes it easy. You said kids. How many you got, man? I got two. I got a uh, thir my son just turned 13, and my daughter, uh, she'll be 12, or uh, 10. No, excuse me. She is 10. She'll be 11 at the end of this month. Uh, so, yeah, 11 and 13. So in Montana, you have to wait till you're 12 to hunt. Um, yes and no. Yes and no. Uh, How's that work? So, so uh, Montana has what they call the apprentice program. Uh, which means they are allowed to start hunting at the age of 10 without a hunting license. Uh, once they turn 12, they have to have their hunter's education completed to be able to hunt after that. So I made a deal with both of my kids. I told them, hey, I said, if you kids can pass the hunter's education course, um, I'll take you hunting at the age of 10. I wanted them to have uh, hunter's education uh, prior to actually going out in the field. I felt like it was... Uh, pretty important and pretty valuable information for them to have. And of course, they both took the course and passed. Um, my son, uh, when he was 10, he uh, took the course, passed, went out uh, opening day and ended up killing a pretty nice mule deer. Um, and then the following year, he killed a pretty nice mule deer, both with a rifle, of course. Um, and then this last year, uh, my son, he turned 12 and uh, same deal. He had to take bow hunters education in order to be able to bow hunt. Uh, he really loves shooting his bow and really has fallen in love with uh, bow hunting. Um, I took him out this year. Uh, he killed a really nice antelope with his bow opening weekend. Um, and then uh, in November, he actually was in October. Uh, we have a youth season here as well. It's a two-day youth deer season. Um, and then uh, that, that precedes the, uh, the general rifle season for everybody. So... Um, during that youth season, he said he wanted to continue to bow hunt. And then uh, actually on the opening day of the general season, he ended up killing a mule deer doe with his bow, um, which he was super excited about. Um, and then he also did miss a, uh, a bull with his bow this year too. Yeah. Um, I mean, all of this, uh, for his first year bow hunting, I mean, heck, I don't even usually have that good of a season just myself but uh and then my daughter she got to rifle hunt for the first time this year at the age of 10.
and she killed a really nice mule deer. So, um, yeah, my uh, my hunting seasons are rapidly becoming uh, uh, my kids' hunting seasons. But this it's so much fun taking them out and and hunting with them. It, it doesn't even matter if I you know, release an arrow on anything. I'm just having fun with them at this point. Yeah, I'm a few years away from those days, but I know they're coming. I can't wait for them, honestly. And in the meantime, I'm just trying to, you know, as a dad, get as many really cool close-to-home spots as possible that are fun. They'll actually see some animals and get some opportunities and uh, try not to be too hardcore with them. But plant the seed and and October is such a great month for that. I call it the October lull for me. You come off archery season and you're pretty depleted, uh, although you just want to chase one more bugle. But uh, hopefully by the end of September, you got some elk meat, antelope meat in the freezer, and you're sitting in a good position to go spend some quality time with your kids, man. That's awesome. So you just got back from California. Didn't you do Redding this year? Yes, yes. This was my first time doing Redding. It was a phenomenal experience. I uh, got to see a lot of people from the industry, uh, meet a lot of new people, and just get out uh, with a great group of people and, and shoot some spots. And um, It's something that uh, I haven't really done much of, and uh, it was a great experience. I had a lot of fun. Did you take your bow set up, or did you bring a target set up? No, I took my, uh, my hunting set up. Uh, so we do some hunts down in Texas. Um, in the early spring uh, for pigs and turkeys and some exotics and whatnot. So I had that uh, bow all set up from, from those hunts and uh, just kind of, you know, I was only home for about two weeks before we went down to Redding. And so I figured, I'm, you know, I'm pretty well dialed in with that setup. There's no point in changing anything. And, and uh, I actually shot way better than I really expected to, um, especially with a bow hunting setup. So I was, I was happy with how I did. Okay, so we've covered Redding on this podcast last year about this time with Evan Williams, Ahoyt. We went through like all of the, I'm trying to remember, but for your first experience, how many different days did you shoot? Uh, three days. Okay, and then how many targets each day? Uh, the first two days, they were 25 targets. The first two days and the last day was 20 targets, uh, two arrows per target. That's a lot of arrows, man. Were you able to like shoot as well? on day three as you were day one i actually shot better um as the the days went on um i you know i really didn't know what to expect going down there um having not really done much 3d uh when i was a teenager uh i, I did a little bit of 3d but beyond that you know i you know do the total archery challenge um, but you know, the total archery challenge is something that I do, you know, more for fun than score. And this is kind of the mentality that I took down to Redding, but Redding is a little bit more of a, it's a little bit more competitive. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, of course you, you want to you shoot well. And, um, prior to going down there, having not been down there, Kelly here in the office, he's, He's telling me, oh, you need to be ready for a three-yard shot and a four-yard shot and a seven-yard shot all the way out to 101. And, and so we, you know, are shooting here in the office at those close distances. And, you know, he's telling me, you know, how to get ready. And, and you know, you really need to be sure you range every target because your range finder is you both sighted into your range finder, not to what their course is marked out at. And, yeah. Um, you know, he, he did a really good job at preparing me for the shoot. Um, and then, uh, you know, I just, again, took my bow hunting setup and, and went down there and, 
the first day I was so stinking nervous, I could hardly keep my pin on the target, let alone a small dot. And I was nervous pretty much most of the day uh, that first day. And then uh, day two, you know, I don't know what, what changed. I just felt more comfortable with everything and just figured, you know what, I'm here just to have fun. And if I shoot well, great. And if I don't, that's fine too. And it's not going to matter one way or the other. And then uh, day two, I... I shot way better than I probably should have. Yeah. So. Nice. All right, well, let's let's nerd out a little bit. I mean, not too nerdy, but I got nerd questions for you. I think, what is the setup? Uh, what's your arrow setup total weight that you uh, shot? Right now, my arrows, I think, are coming in at like 412. I'm shooting uh, the gold tip Pierce. Okay. Uh, on a grain head. Gotcha. What, uh, what release did you use on that, on the shoot? Uh, I have a fang, um, the uh, true ball fang. It's, you know, just a trigger release. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, I haven't really gotten into the whole target business, so I don't know too much about, you know, using the thumb release and or back tension or any of that stuff. I've just always shot a trigger, and that worked. What's that's what works for me, and so that's what I use. Okay. Now, I'm assuming you use a, a black gold sight, and I want to talk to you about, like, third axis a little bit. Did you guys – how did you dope your third axis in, you know, before getting there? Because there's some uphill and downhill shots for certain. Right. Yes. Um, so the way I do it is, you know, I set the first and second axis, make sure everything is all level. Um, and third axis, I the way I usually do it, um, and I'm by all means no super expert on it, but – I try and make sure that my third axis is level uh, at full draw. Um, I'm not a hundred, you know, I'm not a hundred percent certain that that's the best way to do it, but that's just the way I do it. Uh, you know, I draw my bow back and I kind of make sure that my upper limb pocket, my lower limb pocket, are level with a, a straight edge like a door jam or something like that, um, and you know, aiming up um, at a good angle. And then I check my level and, and see if it's if it's level. And then I make adjustments to make sure that it's level when I'm aiming up or down um, to set my third axis. Yeah. And it definitely, uh, you can notice it on those longer uphill and downhill shots um, for sure. Yeah, there's, there's so many different ways to do that. Uh, I, my personal favorite is literally just going to a target that's steep downhill or uphill and just taking shots. Uh, and the thing that I've learned is a lot of site manufacturers just don't have third axis adjustment and uh, right. it's crazy to me. But anyways, wearing glasses, you, you wear glasses when you shoot. Yes. Um, we were just talking about this while we were at the shoot. So on a day to day basis, I wear contacts. Um, but for me, I have really dry eyes. So being out in the woods, uh, you know, a slight breeze comes up and it makes my contacts dry out. And then the other odd uh, fact is that for whatever reason, when I get to a point where I'm starting to get nervous, my eyes dry out. I don't know why. I don't know what that what the deal is there, but I can't wear contacts because my eyes just wear they just dry out when I get nervous. So if I got a you know a bull coming in or something like that, it just is going to be a bad situation for me. So I wear glasses when I shoot. Um, and several years ago, I actually uh, thought, you know, I wonder if there's something to that amber-shaded uh, lens or the, uh, the yellow-shaded lens uh, or, or tinted lens. Um, so I bought a pair of glasses that had that uh, tint to it, and I've been hunting with those for, 
oh gosh, probably better part of 10 years. And I really like the contrast that you get with the, the greens and the reds. Um, and then even in, in low light situations, it seems to make the colors pop a little bit better. Um, I really like that, uh, that having that tint in the, in the lens. It just seems to work well for me. That seems like a pretty good advantage, honestly. I, I like everything about you just said there. I was thinking contrast for sure. I wasn't thinking greens as much, but it makes so much sense. A lot of the foliage, a lot of the terrain, a lot of the, just the country has greens to it, some reds, and I can see that being an advantage. I'm not a glass guy where yet uh, eyes are still holding up, but I could see that as a potential down the road. And that's why I asked you that. I, I knew that you had a reason. So let's shift into business a little bit. You know, this podcast is a lot about just disciplining yourself personally, be the best employee or employer or spouse that you can be. And you leverage elk hunting to make yourself more disciplined. And then when you aren't hunting, you are engaging more with your family or your team at work. Uh, you're a president of a pretty successful quiver company. You guys have been around a long time. How has things changed for you guys, just the landscape of business and the internet and social in the last few years? Like, What have you guys had to do differently than, say, years prior of just trade shows and catalogs? Um, you know, social media, I think, has is, is changed the way, you know, everybody does everything, for that matter. Um, it's kind of changed how uh, we live, um, which is kind of crazy to think about, but uh, that's just kind of the way I see it, I guess. You know, Tight Spot is uh, 10 years old. Obviously, I started here in the beginning. Uh, when it was uh, in the beginning, it was just me. Um, over the course of time, I uh, had hired a, an office manager that was here part-time and then uh, went to full-time. And then I, I needed some more help just with sales, so I hired a national account manager. Um, and that was so six or seven years ago. Um, and then uh, Kelly, he's the national account manager here now. I think he's been here a little over four years, um, and he does a great job. And uh, in regards to social media, um, it's he has done a phenomenal job with uh, our social media, um, just with Facebook and Instagram. And and when I say phenomenal job, he's done a great job with the time frame that we have. Obviously, you know our. Our business model is uh, basically to call up dealers, get to know the dealers, find out what their needs are, and try and fulfill those needs with product. Um, but then on the consumer side, if we can uh, educate the consumer about our product, um, then we can drive those consumers to the dealers. And uh, social media has been a part of that. And Kelly has been running most of our social media uh, for the last several years, and what he does is he just gets on, you know, Facebook or Instagram, and and uh, you know makes posts on the tight spot page, but then also finds out who's tagging us, and then goes and comments on that stuff, um, and just tries to engage with people, um, and not so much, uh, you know, give a sales pitch, but just let people know that we're engaging with them and. And let them know that we're paying attention to them, and and uh, the more we pay attention to them, the more they pay attention to us. And uh, I think it, over time, when somebody's looking for a good quality product, they like, oh yeah, tight spot, and then they'll uh, look into it, and hopefully uh, go into their local pro shop and and end up purchasing one. So um, yeah, social media has, has uh, become a huge platform for advertising and and just getting the name out there. Yeah, so do you guys sell directly to consumers on your website or do you just sell to dealers? 
We do sell directly on our website. We sell, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, for MSRP, um, which is one sixty-seven ninety-five. You will be able to go into your local pro shop and find it for quite a bit less, probably twenty plus dollars less. And the reason that we sell for full MSRP is that we want people to um, see the price on on our page and be like, "Wow, that's uh, a little bit more than what I've seen it at the pro shop. I'm going to go buy it at the pro shop." We want to drive people to the dealers. Uh, we want them to go there. Um, now there is the occasion where somebody just can't can't make it to the pro shop. They don't want to go to the pro shop. They want to buy it direct from the manufacturer. So we're not going to turn those guys away. However, they are going to pay a little extra for that, and uh, usually they're okay with that if that's the route that they want to go. Uh, but in the end, we want to drive people to the pro shops. I get it, and I think that's cool. I think I didn't know this until I started doing the elk shape camp, and we had just at the first one we had 20 guys and we did go to my personal archery shop and i had a, a guy you know josh jones really mm -hmm. teach some basic bow tuning some basic shooting form and we went through arrow selection and just these people's minds were blown and they came in all across the country and i guess my takeaway was is joe there's a lot more terrible archery pro shops than good ones and so it's interesting to me to talk to a guy who sells product to pro shops. What can guys, gals, archers, enthusiasts look for in a pro shop to know that they found a good one, they're going to get taken care of, and they're going to walk out that door with a lot of confidence in their setup? Uh, probably uh, just a pro shop or somebody behind the counter who is excited about getting them into the into the product that they're looking for. Um, you know, there's some pro shops where you can walk into and the guy behind the counter he just sits behind the counter and he waits for you to bring something up to the to the table and say, "I want to buy this." Um, then there's another pro shop where you walk in the door and the guy greets you, and says, "Hello, how you doing today? What can I help you out with?" Um, the guy wants to provide you some customer service. From that point, you tell the, the guy behind the counter, you know, hey, you know, I'm looking for, you know, this bow or this quiver. And then the guy really tries to educate you on the product. When you've got uh, somebody who gives you a really good education on the product that you're looking for, then you're probably in the right spot. You know, if you if you got somebody who's being pretty lazy and sitting behind the counter, you might not be in the right place. That's definitely what I found, and just finding someone knowledgeable. You know, we don't. I don't want to spend a ton of time on just tight spot quivers, but I've used them for years. Uh, my quiver doesn't really come off my bow unless I'm in a tree. It's on my bow when I'm hunting, and that's where I want it to be, and it's, I want it to fit really tight to the riser. I want to be able to offset, offset that weight so I have a really good balance point with a back bar. But you guys have solved a lot of issues over the last 10 years that I've seen. You got your three, five, seven arrow quivers, and you got all sorts of different type of hood colors now. You can get it in almost everything from Sika, all the Sikas and Realtrees and Kuyu. And then I think you guys even have a workaround with the kind of the new trend the last few years is those you know those movable sites where you can slide up and down what am i missing what else do you guys have to offer uh you pretty much covered a really good portion of it um like you said my my quiver doesn't really come off my bow ever either 
Um, you know, I'm a Western hunter crawling around the mountains, uh, taking my quiver off just isn't, uh, something that I, I really do much, you know, having a quiver that fits tight to the bow. So you don't get that lateral torque is huge for the Western guy. And until the tight spot, there really wasn't much else that would do that. Um, and then the other major feature of the tight spot is the gripper that's adjustable. Um, the way I like to set mine up is uh, get a, you know, a nice close fit, and uh, then I can tilt the quiver forward and back and change the forward-backward balance. Um, and, and, you know, I might even be able to reduce some of the weight off of my front stabilizer. Those are some of the, the key features of it and uh, some of the things that really uh, kind of set us apart. Um, that's kind of how I like to set mine up. So I don't even kind of got off tangent, got on a tangent there. I don't even remember what your question was. Well, that's, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. I do the same thing, um, on my setup. I have my quiver slightly forward. It's not completely parallel to the riser. I just tried to find that perfect balance point and you guys are able to adjust those. I get, a, you know, I get guys questions all the time. They see your setup and they want to know the whys. And so I just wanted to cover that for all the direct messages I've gotten about. Why is my quiver slightly forward that covered that? And really, I mean, you guys make a pretty legit quiver when it comes to just durability and quiet and vibration and all that stuff. It's worth checking out. And like you said, go to a pro shop. But we brought you on here to tap your elk knowledge because you've been elk hunting a long time. And so we're going to get into that public land over-the-counter stuff. I know you mainly focus in Montana. Maybe we can kind of hone in on that. Uh, how many years have you been elk hunting? Um, let's see, I, uh, I'm 43 now, and I guess, uh, started, I moved to Montana when I was 21, so you can do the math there, 22 years, and then I came out, uh, to Elk Hunt a year prior to that, so I guess I got 23 years. Okay, in those 23 uh, years, like, tell me about the first, whatever, learning curve years, maybe you didn't even have a learning curve years, like, for yep, me, yeah. I had success very first time out with a rifle. And then oh, I wow. hit a yeah. Then I hit a four-year archery drought, and I hunted like I think I got so my personality is so all or none. Like I literally might have quit a couple jobs throughout those four years just to have all of September. So I would wow. say hundred plus days without killing an elk over four years with a bow, and then finally year five, and then I hit a hot streak that's still going. But what was your learning curve like? Well, having moved here from California, um, hunting in California and hunting in Montana are two totally different things. <laughs> so there was a, a huge learning curve. You know, where I was hunting in Northern California, hunting deer, you know, it's it's so thick. Um, you know, as soon as you get out of the truck, you could be walking and it, it didn't matter where you were at. You could find a deer behind just about any bush. So you always had to be ready. Um, hunting elk in Montana um, it just seems like there's elk in certain areas and there's elk that are just not in certain areas. And so I spent a lot of time hunting where elk just were not at, you know, they just weren't there. They just didn't live in those areas. And so I would spend a lot of time kind of still hunting and bugling and cow calling and, and, and not even finding elk. And it took me a long time to realize, yeah, you can't keep doing this. You got to do something different. You need to go find elk. You need to find some sign. You need to go scouting. Um, and then, uh, it kind of evolved into two different things. One, I was working a lot and going to school. So hunting a long ways away from home, uh, wasn't much of an option. So I was trying to find local elk. 
which made it a little bit more difficult because uh, this area seems to get hammered pretty hard. Uh, so elk seem to get pretty, pretty well educated pretty fast. Um, so once I kind of changed jobs, I uh, had a little bit more time on my hands um, and then realized, you know what, I need to find elk that are not educated and that's going to make things a little bit easier. I just need to get farther back into the back country. Um, and that's when I finally uh, ended up killing my first elk. I think it took me three or four years to kill my first elk and it was with a bow. Um, and I had a buddy who always told me, um, actually it was a guy that worked at a pro shop. He's like, you know, your first elk is going to be your hardest one. It's going to take you the longest to kill that first elk. He's like, once you get that first elk, you kind of get it figured out. Um, and you, you start doing better. Um, and I'm by no means, uh, you know, an elk expert, but, uh, I've killed a few of them. Um, and, uh, you know, every year I seem to learn something new and, and uh, it seems like these days, kind of the things that I do are uh, a hunt an area where I feel like there's not a lot of pressure, which is not an easy thing to find. Um, but then uh, once I get into an area that doesn't have much pressure, then I'll try and hike uh, either into areas that I think are being missed by other hunters, um, or I just try to out hike the other hunters, which is also not an easy thing to do. You gotta be in good shape to do that. Um, and if you can do those things, it, it uh, seems to get you back into some pretty decent elk country. Um, this last fall, I uh, took my son out and we uh, did just those things. We went to an area that there weren't a lot of people and, and then we hiked quite a ways in and, and got into some elk and uh, we had a, a pretty fun fall. Um, didn't end up killing anything, but we got into them. So, um, and as far as I'm concerned, that's, that's half the battle right there. Yeah, I'm going to recap some of the things you said because they're so powerful. I want to take it another level. So nomadic approach to elk hunting. Uh, I've hunted with some noobs just recently, last year especially. To, just went out a couple times with some newbies. And you got to put the whitetail mode behind you. Put it on the back burner. You're not sneaking around. You're not still hunting. And especially even like even early season and doing some blind setups. You don't have to sneak around too much. Elk make noise. And then, you know, not hunting where the elk are at. Like, it's almost like you just got to put your head down, throw out bugles, and find sign and to confirm mm -hmm. that the elk are there. And it's just a matter of covering miles. Be in really good shape and, and go as far as possible. The other two things you said that I liked was like, okay, there is a significant difference between pressured elk and not pressured elk. And it doesn't oh. take much for them to get pressured. And yeah. so as you gain experience, you'll start to learn, like, what does that pressure look like? And where are the, what are the elk going to do behavior-wise once they get pressured? Are they going to peace out? Or are they going to go completely nocturnal? Are they going to – where are they going to hold up? they got to find some refuge. And then the overlooked areas, too. Like, I can't tell you how many awesome elk hunting spots I know in Idaho that are close to a highway, close to a main road, or even close to, like, a mountain biking trail that recreational people do – but there's elk there that it just gets overlooked. All those things are huge. For those that don't have any spots to go, what kind of advice do you have to give them? Like say they're, they drew a general Montana. They have all almost the entire state to go to. Where do they start looking on their computer? Like, or where do they start going for resources? Oh man, there's a lot of resources out there. Um, one of the first places you could start with is with the fish and game. Um, they're going to probably uh, 
so when I first started hunting Montana, what I did living in California, I came out on a trip with my dad. Um, but I had no idea. I, I literally knew nothing about elk hunting. So I called Fish and Game and I said, hey, can you guys send me some harvest numbers and, and maps? And and so they sent me a bunch of information. So I went through each and every district and I uh, highlighted in you know red or whatever it was um, the number of elk that were killed in each district. And then I went through and, and did the same thing for uh, mule deer and whitetail. Um, and then I did it for the time of year, whether it was general season or rifle season or uh, archery season, uh, general season or archery season. Um, and tried to hone in on where the most success was, which ended up being the southwestern uh, corner of the state, um, which is where Bozeman is, right? So, um, and then I kind of tried to figure out where to go from there. At that point, that got me a, a general area of the state to be, but I needed to find, you know, like a mountain range. Um, so my dad actually uh, was in Montana in during the summertime on a on a vacation, and he actually was just in a small town having lunch, and uh, seen some uh, some cowboys that came in to uh, to the restaurant to have lunch, and he just went over and started talking to him. He's like, hey. You know, if you guys uh, <clears throat> could point a guy in the, in the right direction on the, where you might be able to find some elk, where would you send him? Um, and they told my dad, you know, we're uh, <clears throat> running cattle in this particular spot um, when we see all kinds of elk wallows and elk sign. You ought to, you ought to check up this, uh, this drainage uh, in this particular mountain range. And so we went there that fall and... Lo and behold, there was elk everywhere, and we were like, whew, man, that was a hot tip. So just, you know, possibly getting into, uh, you know, some of the smaller towns and just talking to people. You'd be surprised at uh, what kind of information you can you can find. Um, I don't know that many people are going to put online on some of the Internet forums their hotspots uh, for the whole world to see. Um, trust me, I've tried to look and find out if you can find out some really good information and, and there probably is some out there, but I haven't had a whole lot of success with, with, uh, tying into that. You got to get somebody who's, uh, willing to talk to you one-on-one, -on -one, I think, to, to get that kind of information on those hot tips. But Google Earth, I, I use that a ton, uh, Onyx Maps, um, I use that a ton, um, and just try and find, uh, spots that are, uh, away from roads or spots that, like you were just saying, might get overlooked. Um, you know, living here in Montana and talking to a lot of people, you know, I'll get on on X Maps and if you know I find an area that that looks decent, I'll, I'll, you know, it might come into my mind that, man, I don't ever remember anybody ever saying anything about this particular area. Like they killed one here or they saw elk here. I might just go check it out and maybe it's an overlooked spot and sometimes it is and sometimes it's just it's just not full elk so um you just got to kind of do the research yeah uh, no i hear what you're saying um when you look at montana it's kind of like well you got western central and eastern montana uh you can even break it down further like the southwest corners got some pretty high densities mm -hmm. but one area of montana i literally have never hunted and it's just i think it's the hardest hunting out there is out western that western northwestern portion you know you got a lot of wolves you got really some intimidating mountains i mean mm -hmm. and it's covered up in timber pretty good have you spent much time in western montana uh not in northwestern montana i have not yeah uh, 
southwestern Montana, I have. Um, and there's some great hunting to be had down here. Um, you know, every now and again, somebody will call up or uh, ask, you know, about a particular mountain range um, or, you know, where do I go? Um, you know, and there's some there's some really good hunting uh, in the western, southwestern mountain ranges. Uh, but you just got to figure out how to get away from the people and the educated elk uh, and the pressured elk. Um, if you can do that uh, and you're willing to, you know, get in shape and, and get a few miles off the road, you know, if you can get five miles off the road, then you're doing pretty dang good and you, you probably will get into some elk. So, Well, with a six-week season, how would you do it if you – knowing what you know now, is it really important to hit hit it pretty early or – maybe slow play it and wait for October when most people are out of energy vacation and the woods start to get empty again, hit it then, or just wait for the middle of the heart of the rut. Like what's the, I guess, give us the benefits and. Dan, I, I can't give you all my secrets on when I like to hunt, man. You're okay. just, you're, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking good uh, questions, no, folks. It, it, no, it, <laughs> you, you, you actually kind of, uh, said exactly what I like to do. Sometimes going out opening weekend, uh, you know, you always hear the guy, oh yeah, I went out opening weekend and killed milk. It, it can, you know, it can certainly happen. Um, over the years, I've become more and more frustrated with going out opening weekend, usually because there's a lot of people. Oftentimes it's pretty hot um, and the elk just aren't super active. Um, so I don't usually hunt uh, elk opening weekend. Sometimes I'll uh, try and sneak in a, a doe hunt or something like that. But, uh, you know, obviously like the third week in September, a lot of people are trying to hit the peak of the rut, um, which, uh, you, you know, you've got more people in the woods that time of year. Um, or that time of the month, uh, with our season that goes, uh, I think it's ends in the second, uh, weekend in October. Um, you know, we got a, like you said, that six week season. So it's super long. Um, I like to hit maybe the last few days of September and then the first week of October. That's, that's kind of where I like to be because like you just said, people are wore out, they're given up. They've already spent their, uh, their week's vacation, um, the woods really start to empty out, and uh, I, I find that the elk are just as active, if not more active, at that time uh, because there's not that many people out in the woods at that point. So um, if, I, if I had to pick a time frame, I'm going to hit those last couple of days of uh, September and, and into that first week of October. That's when I'm going to be in the woods. Okay, you answered that question. I appreciate it. That probably hurt to answer that a little bit, but I, I'm sorry about That's, that. My next no. question, you may you may just tell me, no comment. But so I have hunted Central Montana, exactly when you said, into September, early October, and I've seen some amazing rut activity, no question. But I also had to watch it all take place on private property where there is no way you're hunting there whatsoever. And so I've always wondered. What if I were to go to those same similar areas at the beginning of the season? Will those elk already be on that private? What What have you learned there? It does not take much for uh, those elk to get pushed onto those private uh, pieces. Um, it, 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 if it doesn't happen the first day of the elk season, it will probably be the next one. I've, I've seen it time and time again where you're you're – you're spending the summer months scouting and finding elk and, and you're thinking, oh man, this is going to be great. And then opening day, you're, you're looking across the border and it's like, huh, all right. Yeah. I guess, uh, you know, Friday night, every, 
every hunter in the woods uh, came out to play and and uh, by Saturday morning they're all on private and, and they're just not there um, unless you're in an area that uh, isn't getting pressured but if you're in an area that isn't getting pressured they're probably going to be there in late in, in late September early October anyways so I don't know it, it uh, a lot of times I will try and hunt uh, the borders of private land and uh, you know elk they see, sometimes it seems like they know where that border is and sometimes they just you know they venture back out on the public land anyways um and uh, you can sometimes get a crack at them but hunting those uh, private land uh borders can sometimes produce some 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 elk so nice well dude i know you're a busy man you're president of a company you're hell of an archer your dad your hard worker I don't want to take too much more of your time. Going forward, 2019, what do you got on the book so far for hunting season coming up this fall? Well, uh, like I mentioned, I got my kids. They, uh, they're they uh, a huge part of my hunting season now. Um, I'll still try and get out and do an antelope hunt with my son again this year. Um, and then once September rolls around, um, we'll uh, probably – and I haven't quite set it in stone yet. We might go deer hunting opening weekend, and then beyond that, we'll sneak in a few weekends uh, chasing elk around. And then uh, once the end of September comes, I'll probably take my son and we'll we'll spend a week out in the woods uh, chasing elk uh, into October. And then uh, once that's done, we'll I'll, I'll uh, <coughs> like I mentioned, we got that uh, youth season. Uh, for deer, I'll take my daughter out for that in uh, the end of October, and uh, then once November rolls around, the mule deer will start rutting, and, and I'll start chasing them, and uh, that'll that'll pretty much uh, round out the hunting season. Um, if I didn't uh, fill my elk tag with a bow, then uh, I'll wait until uh, December. So we've got some areas around here where we've got shoulder hunts, and uh, our for general season doesn't end until uh, <clears throat> excuse me the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Um, so if I haven't killed a, an elk with a bow, then I'll still try and chase them around with a rifle. And uh, we've got some of those shoulder seasons that go clear into February, but. Uh, usually by January, I'm off to trade shows and on sh- on the show season. So, oh, lucky yeah. you! Yeah. Oh yeah, I know, right? <laughs> oh yeah, I tell you, man, that uh, that season is not my favorite. But I I tell you, we are let almost three months out from antelope. So, hopefully, folks are listening to this, getting excited, doing their due diligence, shooting, training, all that kind of stuff. Do you, I'll end with this, man. Workout wise, like a guy as busy as you, like. Are you a guy that just hikes on the weekends or scouts, use hunting as your fitness? Like, how do you stay in shape come the fall, being in your early 40s? That's, that's pretty much how it, how it happens. Um, you know, this time of year, things are, you know, I'm busy with kids and their sports. My son's playing baseball. Um, I'll just, you know, play baseball with him on the weekends or whatever. Um, you know, we'll get out. My dad actually owns uh, a small piece of property, 13 acres up in the mountains. Um, so I'll spend a lot of the summer, you know, going up into the mountains and, you know, cutting wood, cutting trails, weed eating, mowing, um, you know, working on his uh, little cabin that he's got there and just, you know, an all day you know, spending the entire day working on the cabin or doing whatever is uh, sometimes just as good as going to the gym. Um, unfortunately, I don't spend the time to go to the gym. I just spend the time to, 
to hike in the mountains, you know, go scouting. And then once the season rolls around, then I'm hopefully in good enough shape to, to get around. And, and usually it seems like it works out well for me. So, Dude, appreciate your time. Thanks for listening. Where can people find tight, tight spot on the uh, social media world? Is, you guys just on Facebook and Instagram? Yep, uh, Tight Spot Quivers um, on both uh, Facebook and Instagram. Um, you can check out our website. There's links there as well, tightspotquivers.com. And uh, if you have any questions for us, you can give us a call here at the office uh, or check out your local pro shop. They, uh, there's a, a good number of, of shops around the country that are carrying our products, and um, they should be able to get you fixed up. Cool, man. We'll stay on the line. Thanks, guys, for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, Elk Hunters, Corey Jacobson here from Elk101.com. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking about elk hunting every day of the year and working continually to maximize your chances for success this fall. Well, Dan and I have created a special opportunity for you that I feel will absolutely take you to the next level in elk hunting, regardless of your previous experience. Three years ago, I created the University of Elk Hunting online course with one goal in mind, to make you a more successful elk hunter. The UEH online course contains 45 chapters of detailed elk hunting information organized into 17 modules and covering every imaginable elk hunting topic, from planning and scouting to calling tactics and tracking and every topic in between. The University of Elk Hunting online course is the most comprehensive and complete resource available to elk hunters. And for listeners of the Elk Shape podcast, Dan and I have teamed up to offer you a 20% discount when you sign up. Simply go to elk101.com, click the link to the online course, and use the code ELKSHAPE, all one word, when you check out. You owe it to yourself to invest in the single most lethal weapon that you take to the elk woods each fall. Invest in you. Sign up for the University of Elk Hunting online course and elevate your elk hunting success today.